Listen, I get it. There are about a hundred different Bible study apps and guides out there, but I want to tell you about one that you may not have heard of yet, Yarrow. Yarrow offers beautifully designed inductive Bible studies and a digital app that guides you through scripture so that you can know what it says and understand what it means for your actual life. No matter where you're coming from or what season of life you're in, Yarrow is the Bible study guide that will help you unearth the truth of scripture so that it can take root in your heart and propel you deeper in your relationship with God. Go check out their first study, Known, which is all about your identity in Christ at yarrow.org. They are offering 10% off with the code JOURNEYWOMEN10. So go to yarrow.org and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN10 for 10% off and download the Yarrow app to study for free today. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. As you can probably tell, this is not the voice of your regular host, Hunter Belis. I'm Lauren Bowerman, another Journey Women team member, and I'm stepping into this intro for Hunter as she is caring for two close family members who are on hospice. In today's episode, Hunter and Margarita Diaz-Lutz are talking about the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Little did Hunter know when she recorded this episode what a ministry this reminder of the reality of the resurrection would be to her as she walks through the difficult circumstances her family is facing. We pray that this conversation ministers to you too in whatever challenges you're facing, whether it's chronic illness, death, broken relationships, or any other kind of hurt on this side of heaven. As you'll hear, this conversation is rich with scripture and Margarita so beautifully reminds us of how the resurrection offers us hope, even in the midst of the brokenness of this world. So you'll know a little bit more about her. Margarita lives in San Juan, Puerto Rico with her husband, Zach, and her two-year-old son, Joaquin. She and Zach work together in ministry at Trinity Church, where Zach is the pastor. Margarita graduated from Covenant Seminary in Wheaton College, and she loves to study and teach God's Word. Margarita, am I saying it right? That's right, you did it. (laughs) You're about to spew coffee all over the computer. (laughs) I tried really hard. You did a great job. Thank you so much for your willingness to join me on the Journey Woman podcast today. Of course. I'm so excited and really humbled. I cannot believe it. I'm an avid podcast listener, so to be on one is like very exciting. Oh, that's so fun. It's so interesting to me how people who are in different countries, which you're in Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people all over the world listen to podcasts. Like that was one of the most astounding things to me, uh, learning the Journey Women analytics that many of our listeners are overseas, in fact, in far like more remote places than Puerto Rico. It's really fun to have access to people via the earbuds just all over the world. So hello, all of you out there. This is my friend Margarita. She is in Puerto Rico with her husband, Zach. He is the pastor of an English-speaking church in Puerto Rico, and they have a baby. But Margarita went to seminary with some of our friends who we've had on the show in the past. Did you see that in our lineup? We have some of your old professors and things like that. I know. I was like, this is so cool. I can't even believe it. I listened to their their episodes. So you went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And is that where you met your husband? I'm not sure. Or did you guys go together? So we did go together. We had been married for three years before that. We met in high school, actually. So yeah, we got to study together, which is really fun. We took classes together and got to talk about what we learned in lectures and, you know, complain about assignments and things like that. So it was really, really sweet time. Oh, that is so cool. You're the second person who we've had that's gone to Covenant with her husband. I don't know if you know Courtney Doctor, but she's been on the show. She's a friend of mine. Yes. And I just think that'd be such a rich time in your marriage just to really kind of root yourselves in scripture and then to move out of that into local church ministry. So thank you for devoting time to come and join us here 
on the podcast, even though I know you're super busy with all of the things, mothering Mm -hmm. and ministry work in Puerto Rico. So Mm -hmm. it's such a joy to get to have you. And when I was looking for a guest on this particular topic, it's a niche topic. It's a tricky topic. And your name came up because I've heard through your professors and through our friend, Chris Gordon, that you're just such a careful student of the word. So I wanted to be really careful in handling this topic. Number one, because it's actually something that I don't know a ton about. So I very much identify with the listener in coming and asking questions, genuinely seeking to understand, because I think so much of what we talk about in Christian circles, and in fact, the last episode that we aired was about the cross of Christ. We're pretty good about talking about living a cross-centered life, but there's also the reality of the resurrection and then this thing called the ascension that I think a lot of people have maybe the, the word for, but maybe not an understanding of what that actually is. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So can you just begin by talking about maybe give us like a sampling of how the reality of the resurrection and ascension actually applies to us today? How does it impact our everyday life? Because I want people to know this isn't just like a heady theological discussion about the resurrection and ascension. This is because the reality of these truths like impacts our everyday lives. So how does the reality of the resurrection and ascension actually impact your everyday life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I hope that as listeners listen to the rest of the podcast, they realize like there's a million different ways. And it it impacts every moment as a Christian, your life. So these are just two that came to mind right off the bat for me. So first, the reality of the resurrection. So I am somebody actually, I struggle with a hormone imbalance. Hmm. And so I am often kind of in, you know, the wellness space on the internet, basically, you know, like researching things about nutrition, healthy habits, And there's something I think that's really good that we as Christians can affirm about that space. You know, recognizing that God made our bodies good and that the systems function together and that there's this intelligence and design in how we were created. So there's something in the wellness space that sees that. And then there's also just being good stewards of our bodies, getting enough sleep, getting exercise, eating well. Like it is good that we steward our bodies well. Right. The issue with the wellness space sometimes is because they don't have the reality of the resurrection. And so there is no hope. What you do now and the habits that you have now and Uh the things you can change is your only hope. Your only hope to get healthy and to get better. And the issue is even if you fix the one thing you're working on right now, like your body is going to continue to to decay, to have sickness, to... Um, get sore to, yeah, just to decay, to have problems. And you can't, we can't run away from that. And it's because of the the reality of this, the life that we live under now, which is under the domain of death. And we don't like to talk about that, but that is where we're all going. And that's where our bodies are headed. And so the wellness space just says like, you got to fix it now because this is your one life to live. And the reality of the resurrection says that my hope is not in the better I eat, the more sleep I get, and the more I exercise. My hope is in the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And because he's the first fruits of the resurrection, I will also be resurrected. And I'm looking forward to a transformation of my body, Hmm. not just me finding a way of healing it here and now. I'm going to be transformed so that my physical body can face Jesus and see him face to face and delight in him and what that is going to look like and feel like. We have no idea, but we can really hold on to the hope of that and don't have to feel the despair of what this life is like now. That just impacts me every day as I, I battle with my own hormone imbalance to remember this is not all there is. And I can hold on to the hope that Jesus was going to transform my body. Mm-hmm. And then the Ascension. So I am part of a ministry called Paracaleo. It was started to specifically help women in church planting. So I'm in church planting with my husband here at Puerto Rico. They're all about how do you take theological concepts and bridge them to your heart? How do you bridge your head and your heart to know the gospel and to live it out? They have a phrase called look up. And it's just a reminder that 
because of the ascension, Jesus is on the throne. And so in those moments when you feel like, or when I feel like my life is unraveling, you know, if that's personally or interpersonally, if it's a conflict in the church, or even, I mean, we've just been living in a year and a half of lives unraveling. Right. (laughs) To be able to look up and say, Jesus Mm. is on the throne. And he is weaving a tapestry with these threads that we cannot see yet, you know, but we know he's in control and he's weaving not only your individual life, like my individual life, but somehow it's, he's weaving interpersonal lives and communal lives and global lives and cosmic lives. Like whatever is happening right now is still part of his plan. And so we can look up and trust in his goodness. He is on the throne, like none of this is escaping him. None of this is like stumping him, you know, it's not like, Oh shoot, what am I going to do with COVID now? You know, you can look up and know he is in charge. Mm, That reminds me of what one of my good friends, Glory Furman says, like she calls it going cosmic, like just Mm. getting a big view of like who God is and what he's doing and how he's working all the little intricate details of like Mm -hmm. the poopy diaper fiasco. Like somehow he's working all of these things to for Mm -hmm. our good and for his glory. So that's really, really encouraging, especially like when we're just down into the nitty gritty details of our day, like you're feeling the real effects of the hormone imbalance that you suffer from, Mm. like on your body and also parenting and also working and all of these things. Like it's just such an encouragement to look up and to remember who God is. So speaking of looking up, we're going to define some terms here. The resurrection. I mean, we talk about the resurrection a lot. I don't think we talk about the ascension very much at all. Can we just get some clear terms? I like to make sure that people, especially people who may not have a background in the church, know what we're talking about. So what's the resurrection? And then followed by that, what is the ascension? I think before we start with the resurrection or the ascension, we actually have to start with Jesus's death, Mm -hmm. right? Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, he's fully man and fully God. He truly died. And over Holy Week, last spring, I was reading, Dorothy Sayers has this 12 cycle play and it's called A Man Born to be King. And it was written actually as a radio theater work. So the BBC performed it in the forties. Dorothy Sayers was a friend of C.S. Lewis. And he said that after she wrote it, he would read it every Lent actually. Wow. So you don't take my recommendation that this take it from C.S. Lewis. Like, yeah. Take it from C.S. Lewis. It's <laughs> remarkable. It's so good. Cool. So I was reading one of the plays and this specific part really stuck out to me. It's this part where they're about to take Jesus off the cross and give mm-hmm. him to Joseph of Arimathea. And Mary Magdalene gets like really upset. I'm like, don't no, he's not dead. Like, please, you have to be alive. Right. And the soldier tells her, no, he's dead. But I'm just going to show you to being completely sure he's dead. I'm going to thrust the spear in him. And they do that. And Mary Magdalene goes, oh, no, what have you done? He's living. Look, the blood is running down. And the centurion, who is like more knowledgeable, right? He's seen crucifixions before. He looks at her and he says, no, my poor lass. If he were living, the blood would leak. But this creeps dark and sluggish, clotting as it falls. And it's all about that moment in the Gospel of John where it says they pierce his side, right? The soldier pierced his side. John says a mix of water and blood came out. And that actually proves definitively that he's dead. Hmm. And that's why John writes it. You know, I always thought it was like a weird detail, but that's why John writes it. He says, he who saw it, which is himself, has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. And John is saying, like, make no mistake. He truly died. I saw it with my own eyes. And I think we can just skip over that so often when we're talking about um, the crucifixion, the resurrection, when we're celebrating Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we can skip past that Saturday, that day where Jesus is in the tomb. And for the disciples, it was a hopeless day. Like their friend, their Messiah, their hope is dead. And really everything he had said, because if Jesus claimed to be bringing in the kingdom of God and he was dead, he, that's proved otherwise. And if he claimed that he 
was the way to know the Father, but he died, then that wouldn't be true. If Jesus stayed in the grave, he was not who he said he was. So we have to start with his death because he didn't stay in the grave, right? The resurrection then is Jesus's vindication. It's the proof that Jesus is who he says he is because he rose from the dead in his body on the third day. He is who he said he is in the rest of the gospel. There's a theologian who defines the resurrection as the divine reversal of the sentence which the world passed on Jesus. Because the Romans passed the sentence that he was a criminal. And so he's executed by crucifixion. And the Jews sentence, passed the sentence that Jesus was a blasphemer, right? He claimed not only to forgive sins, which only God can do. He claimed to give the right interpretation of law with an authority not like anybody else. But in his trial, he claims to be God himself, right? He has this point where he alludes to Daniel 7, and that's where the Son of Man is given all dominion and glory and a kingdom and peoples that would serve him, and he's equal to the Lord. So he claims that for himself. It's that moment that the chief priests tear their clothes and say, like, he's worthy of death. And the thing is, if he wasn't God himself, he would be worthy of death, right? He'd be a lunatic if he was claiming all these things. So what the resurrection is, is God saying, no, everything Jesus said about who he is, is true. He is God's son. His resurrection proves that he is the word, that the father is well pleased with him, that he is the Messiah, that he's the promised seed who crushed the serpent. So that's what the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is. Have you heard that quote from C.S. Lewis where it says like that Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord? And the resurrection is the proof that he is the Lord. So that's what the resurrection is. And then the ascension and like the subsequent sitting at the right hand of the Father. So the ascension is when Jesus, 40 days later after his resurrection, is taken up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he receives the reward of who he is. So in his ascension, he receives the glory and the honor and the worship that is due to him because he is the Lord. And he receives the power and authority to do his work as king of spreading his kingdom, of defeating his enemies. And he does this by receiving the promised Holy Spirit and then pouring it out upon his people which is Pentecost, which happens 10 days later. That's all like interconnected. The resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost. Talk about that interconnectivity and how they're related, because I think oftentimes, you know, we're just trying to read through and like even just the 40 days that you mentioned, it's like we kind of lose the reality that Christ didn't just like rise again. And it was like, boom, okay, now he's up in heaven. You know, like it wasn't just like, oh, resurrection, boop. Ascension, can you talk about just the interconnectivity of uh, the resurrection and the ascension and what you're talking about, just even in relation to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Yeah, the resurrection happens. And I think sometimes we assume that his disciples or the people who followed him would be like, yeah, of course, look, he's resurrected. You know, like, no, Jesus had to prove that he was flesh and blood, that it was really him you know, that he's actually resurrected. And that is also something different. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that resurrection is the same as resuscitation. You know, like Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But that's different than Jesus being resurrected, because his body was transformed. It's still flesh and blood. You know, he still ate. There were still the marks of his wounds. He showed them to his disciples. But there was something different about his body. Like he would disappear sometimes. He could walk through walls. And so there's something just remarkable about the resurrection. You know, how to show that to his disciples so that they would know and that they could then testify the truth of the resurrection. So those 40 days was that. Those 40 days were also that Jesus got to teach his disciples. Like he had been teaching them, you know, those three years of his ministry, but there's something profoundly different in that his disciples got to see the 
the climax of his work, his self-sacrifice is death and resurrection. And so the fact that the disciples could now see that, he could be like, okay, now let's go back to the Old Testament. And let me show you, this is all about me. What I've just done has been witnessed to and testified in the Old Testament. So that's what we see on the road to Emmaus. There's those two disciples who are walking on the road and they're just heartbroken. They don't know what just happened. Jesus, their hope just died. And then these people are saying like, that the grave is empty and there's these women who are saying like maybe they saw him but they're like that can't be true and he walks them through and shows them like no this is true and it's not just like this sudden thing god has been telling you that this is going to be true through thousands of years through his word and so those that period is also a time of this real teaching i mean when we look at the disciples in the gospels and then see the disciples in acts and just how they talk and what they witness to is a transformation. And it's transformation because they've seen their risen Lord, transformation because he has taught them, but it's also transformation because he is now in heaven and has in John, in the high priestly discourse, I think it's like 13 through 17, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and has this kind of last big conversation with his disciples, he says, I must leave. And it's actually better for you that I go because then I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. And so there's, there is this interconnection between him leaving so that now we don't just have Jesus in one place and time, but now he is in each of our hearts. Do you ever find yourself so busy that you can't find time to prioritize God's Word? Dwell Bible app can help you out. With Dwell, I can listen to and meditate on the scriptures in the car, in the middle of the night, or while I'm making meals and tending to the needs of our household. Incorporating the Bible into everyday moments is so easy with Dwell. I am constantly using the playlists on walks or as I fall asleep to review the scripture that I have been memorizing. The soothing background music, the ability to select your preferred translation or narrator, the sleep timer, and the read-along feature with Dwell make it the most helpful Bible reading app on the market. Their newest release is called Dwell Daily, and it will help you immerse yourself in the Word, pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for 25% off. as you were talking about the 40 days, I was like, man, I'm so jealous. Like, that would be so awesome. But then I, I remembered what you just referenced, that Jesus tells us that it's better that he leaves because we have the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of times we don't realize the gift that we have in the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And we're going to talk about that later in this series, which I'm really excited about. But is it important that we distinguish between the resurrection and, and the ascension in some way as we talk about it? The real importance for distinguishing them is that the gospel isn't just a set of propositions, right? It's a story, it's history. And in that story, the resurrection and the ascension are two different events. They're both integral parts of Jesus's work. We can't have one without the other. And there is a lot of similarity. They're both part of his exaltation. The Bible will talk interchangeably about how they're both part of his vindication. They're both the basis for how we can live lives of obedience and faith in the here and now, because we live in his resurrection power. I am powered by the Holy Spirit. So that comes from both, right? And in Jesus's resurrection and ascension, he inaugurates like the new age that already and not yet. So in both, he's doing that. So there's a lot of interconnectivity, like, but we also see that they're different events in Jesus's life. They're different aspects of his work. And I think the best place we see that is when Jesus talks to Mary Magdalene. And it's that moment when she says, like, he says, don't cling to me. So he's just resurrected and she sees him. She thinks he's a gardener at one moment. And then he, he says her name and she realizes it's her Lord and she clings to him. And I was always kind of confused about that part of the story because I thought Jesus sounded kind of like a little harsh. Like, well, yeah. she's really excited, you know? Like we talk about it all the time, cling yeah. to Jesus. 
And I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon actually on this. And he, the way he described it and the insight he gave really helped me like understand this interaction better because the period of the resurrection was only temporary. It was that time for teaching, for proving. And that was good for Mary Magdalene. And it was good for us because in his ascension, Jesus is given the promised Holy Spirit to pour out upon his people. And he's also now like in charge of all of history. He is at the right hand of the father. And so we have to distinguish them because they're, they're just two different events in his life, even though they are interrelated um, and they're interrelated in our faith. Absolutely. And when we talk about, you know, things being interrelated, like you said, we can't separate this from the entirety of his life, his ministry, his death, all of that. And, you know, like I said, we just are coming off of this conversation, a wonderful conversation with a friend of ours named Yannick, who's over in London. He's a Baptist pastor there. And we talked about the cross of Christ and how Mm -hmm. important it is for us to keep the cross of Christ central. And I think we do that a lot in Christian circles. But why is the resurrection an important reality that we cannot overlook? We talk so much about Jesus's death, and I think we would even maybe simply define the gospel as like Jesus died for our sins, you know? But what did Jesus accomplish in the resurrection, and why is it so important that we don't dismiss like that aspect of what he has done for us through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension? You know, what's really interesting is when we look at the first sermons in Acts, like when they first are explaining what the gospel is, the resurrection actually forms the central core of a lot of those sermons. So like the Pentecostal sermon, no, like Peter's Pentecost sermon, the resurrection is a huge part of that. And so I think it is missing sometimes in Christian circles. We can kind of go down to just this one section of Jesus's work and call that the gospel. And we really need to recognize that the gospel is so big. It's massive, right? The gospel is not less than about how Jesus has saved you from your sins, but it is so much more than that because it is about what he is doing in your life now and what he's doing in creation and what, you know, where this world is going. It's about his whole story. And so we need all of that. And the resurrection is a big part of that. I had a professor who said that the heartbeat of the Christian life, and I think the heartbeat of the gospel is both Jesus's death and Jesus's resurrection. You know, like you need both of those thumbs, like some thumbs, cross and resurrection, some thumbs, right? Suffering and renewal, humiliation and exaltation, some thumbs. You need both of them and we have to hold them both together. You can't have one without the other because then you lose the message of the gospel, really. If you don't talk about the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Like we said earlier, because then what he did, if he didn't rise again, then what he did didn't matter. Because he rose again, it mattered. Because he rose again, we know that Jesus is king and that Jesus has saved you. So you have to hold those two together. And if we lose the cross, if we lose Jesus's self-sacrifice, then there's no need for resurrection, right? If we don't talk about the cross, then why do we need resurrection? You need both of them together. And it's actually everywhere in scripture. I mean, if you start looking, you'll see that cross and resurrection are almost always talked about together. So Romans 4, Paul says that righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, so there's that resurrection thumb, from the dead, and there's the cross thumb, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses, the cross thumb, right, and raised for our justification justification. So there's the resurrection stuff. You see, like the Bible says there's no one without the other. You have to have them both together. And we can parse what they both do out, right? We can say like the cross did this and the resurrection did this. You have to have them both together. And Calvin, John Calvin, when he paraphrases this verse by Paul, he explains it this way. He says, through his death, sin was wiped out and death was extinguished. So that's what Christ says accomplished in his death. And then through his resurrection, righteousness was restored and life raised up. 
his death puts to death sin and death. And his resurrection allows us to live new lives of obedience. Thumb, thumb. So that's why it matters to us to have cross and resurrection. Like it matters in our daily life to be able to say no to sin, right? We have died with Christ. We've died to our sin, but also we're raised to new life with Christ. We're raised to obedience, to uh, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually obey and to actually live lives that are different now. So that's why we want to hold those two things together. There's nothing we can add to Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, but it could not be applied to us. Like what Jesus did to, to take your sin away couldn't be applied to you without the resurrection. Because the resurrection is God's stamp to say what he did mattered and what he did accomplished something. That's the evidence. The resurrection is the evidence that Jesus's work of atonement is real and it can be applied to us because Jesus is alive. Are you looking to boost your protein intake in the new year? Many of us are not getting enough protein, especially at breakfast. So Prep Dish wants to help you out. For the month of January, Prep Dish is offering bonus protein boost meal plans when you sign up. This free bonus shows you how to quickly prep four protein-rich dinners and one breakfast to help you reach your protein goals. Each menu will have you covered for the whole week. You guys, these meals are super mouth-watering and delicious. They have slow cooker carnitas bowls, stuffed pepper soup, and a Swiss chard mushroom and goat cheese frittata. Just imagine coming home to a ready-for-you protein-rich meal to refuel after a long day at work. This is a limited-time offer, so make sure to sign up before the end of January to get these free bonus meal plans. Head into your healthiest year yet, feeling confident that dinner is planned, prepped, and will sustain you for all the things you have going that day with Prep Dish. Check it out and get a two-week free trial at PrepDish.com journey. Remember, for the month of January, anyone who signs up gets the Protein Boost Meal Plan bonus. Again, that's PrepDish.com journey for two weeks free plus bonus menus. I'm thinking as we're talking about his death and resurrection, well, what about the ascension? Because this is the afterthought that not many of us mention. And when our friend Chris Gordon was writing her study, or the study that she has written with At His Feet Studies on Luke, uh, she was kind of breaking down how mind-blowing the ascension is and how it was. she was trying to explain it to me, saying, like, this is really kind of the climactic moment of Christ's work. And I'm like, Chris, like, I believe you, but you're kind of losing me here. So <laughs> how is the ascension the climactic moment of Christ's work? Yeah, there's like three places where the ascension is described from the point of view of his disciples, right? Matthew 28, Luke 24, and Acts 1. And those are descriptions of the ascension kind of from the standpoint of earth. And it's described as Jesus being lifted up in the heaven. He blesses them. There's a cloud that blocks him from their view. And these angels remind the disciples that Jesus is going to come again. And in Matthew 28, Jesus teaches them what the ascension means. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So those are really important passages, but we have Revelation 5 and Daniel 7, which actually describe to us what Jesus's words mean. They Hmm. describe Christ's ascension from the point of view of heaven, from the standpoint of the heavenly throne room instead. And actually in these passages, because we get kind of like this peeling back of the curtain to see true reality we see how the ascension is the climactic moment of Christ's work. So for a little bit of background, because now we're going to Revelation, it's going to be a little like, woo! (laughs) (laughs) Revelation 5. Yeah, exactly. Revelation 5, the setting of Revelation 5 is the throne room of heaven. And John has just witnessed the four living creatures and 24 elders. They're getting praise to the Lord God Almighty. So then chapter, that's chapter 4. Chapter five, God himself is holding the scroll. And now Revelation, we understand Revelation because of the Old Testament prophecies. So there's 
scrolls in the Old Testament. And from that, we recognize that the scroll symbolizes what God has planned for humanity and the coming of his kingdom. So written on the scroll is God's coming of his kingdom and his plan for it. But no one in the throne room is worthy to open the scroll to actually bring God's plan to fruition. And John is like beside himself. He's like crying until an elder tells him, look, there is one who's worthy. And it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And these are messianic titles from the Old Testament. Basically, the elder is saying, Jesus, you know, he's the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And when John turns around, he sees the slaughtered lamb, which is Jesus himself. And so remember, this is his vision. And Jesus is truly a human in heaven. He's not a sheep in heaven. But it's a reminder, that image is a reminder that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll precisely because of his self-sacrifice, right? Because of his work on the cross, he's worthy to open the scroll. They describe the lamb as having seven horns and seven eyes. That means he's like, has all the power, all the like omnipotence. He's all powerful, omniscient. He sees all. So he receives the scroll. And that means that Jesus is the Lord over all of history. He receives from God his position as ruler and judge over all the earth. And that's why it's this climactic moment of his work. He's finally receiving the glory and receiving the power and authority to now accomplish um, the work of his kingdom. And so as he receives the scroll, the throne room is filled with voices of the living creatures and of the elders and like revelation describes that as like myriad of myriads of myriads of angels and they are all saying worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing i mean it just like goes on and on and on and when i mean if we read it and we think about that like of course this is the climax of what jesus has done you know, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, they should overwhelm us. They fall down and they worship him. And that's what the ascension is. You know, like when we peel back and see true reality from the throne room of heaven, from God's perspective, the ascension is Jesus, king over all with all authority and now all the glory and honor. And that's the climax of his work. It's like the coronation of a king. That's what the ascension is. It's the moment where he's given the role of ruler. And it teaches us that true reality, like no matter what you feel in your life, Jesus is at the center of history and he is holding the scroll with authority and he's at the center of worship and he's worthy to be worshiped along with the one who's on the throne. And he's at the center of the throne room. He's wearing, like he bears the marks of his self-sacrifice, of his atonement, and he's given everything, dominion and glory and a kingdom. And then he's given us, right? Like his people that from every nation and from every language that we should serve him. And that's the climax of his work for him to have us as his, as his church who are now going and doing his work of like kingdom growth, making disciples and baptizing and teaching them like what he told us at his ascension. He says he's with us. You know what that makes me want to do? That makes me want to sin less. And that makes me want to walk in obedience. And I think a lot of times, you know, we like rightly feel guilt and think about like seeing Jesus, like his death, seeing Jesus on the cross and thinking like, man, he paid this price for me. Like I ought not, you know, continue in sin. And that's right. But like when you think about Jesus, like high and lifted up and like worthy of worship and honor and glory and praise, like it also is like makes me want to walk in obedience. Like it makes me want to worship him with my life. And so I'm not like, yes, that's a right place to be moved from. Like when we're thinking about that cross scene, but I think thinking about like Jesus ruling in heaven right now, like that's so motivating for me to want to combat sin and want to go to bat for the kingdom of God, like you said, um, and just to want to live a life worthy of the calling that I've received in Christ. So thank you for that. We have to have like the thump thump. We have to have the putting to death of sin, like the recognition of the sacrifice it is. And also the sense of like new life, of obedience, yes. of who Jesus is and like what he's called us to and like the great work 
he has empowered us to do. Yeah, I think a lot of times we feel like, man, we don't have like a big ministry or something like it. I mean, I don't have a calling like this, you know, that I want to just do this kingdom work. But you're like, man, like we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called to worship the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing. I'm like, that is a calling that is just beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, like regardless of the size of the task, the way that we think about the task that he's given us to do today. So we can, why do I always go to poopy diapers? We can wipe bottoms. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I here? We, We can do these things with excellence and with joy and with gladness for the glory of God. And like, that's a really motivating and life giving understanding of what the Lord, the work that the Lord has set before us. So I'm excited, obviously. One of the things that I really love is when we're talking on the Journey Women podcast, and it makes me excited also to turn back to scripture. And so you have done such a great job of already giving us so many different passages that we can look to. Do you have any other passages in scripture that you would suggest we turn to if we want to continue to get a better grasp on the reality of the resurrection and ascension? Definitely. So I would say, you know, always reading the account of the resurrection and ascension in the gospel. So Matthew and Mark's accounts are a little shorter, but Luke and John kind of describe that 40-day period. Just a couple more instances, but John says that if I were to put everything Jesus has done, I've never finished writing. So it's only a couple of things. We have no idea how how much more those 40 days were like, but he has you know, Luke has a journey to Emmaus, which I mentioned already. And and I think what I said about how Jesus points to the Old Testament and says, look, it's the Old Testament where you can understand me. It's the Old Testament where you can understand the resurrection and ascension. There's actually so much in the Old Testament we can go to. So the apostles quote the Psalms to interpret the events of Jesus's life a lot. They to actually understand what they mean. Psalm 16 is a great place to go for the resurrection. It's actually the psalm that Peter references in the sermon in Pentecost when he says, and Psalm 16 is both about this servant of the Lord being vindicated through resurrection, which is what we talked about resurrection is, but then it also kind of gives you the fruit of resurrection, which is the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And so reading Psalm 16 and recognizing like this is, Jesus's resurrection. And now because I'm in Jesus, this is what I have as well. So Psalm 16, Psalm 2, and Psalm 110 are great places to go for the ascension, for seeing that Jesus is on the throne and he is king and he is putting his enemies under his footstool. That's Psalm 110. Ezekiel 36 and 37 are great places to go. There's there's this two chapters about the promise of God's spirit being poured out. And that's in Ezekiel 36. And then Ezekiel 37 is about the bringing back to life of his dead bones. And really, you know, prophecy has that massive fulfillment, right? So the first fulfillment is the fact that God brings the nation of Israel back from exile, like he's bringing back to life. But in light of Jesus's resurrection and in light of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we can see that Ezekiel 37 is also about the fact that we were dead and now we are being brought back to life. And there's an even greater fulfillment. And when God fully resurrects us, you know, when the, we have the resurrection of our bodies and then being of the resurrection of the body, the new Testament, I mean, we can't talk about the resurrection without talking about first Corinthians 15, which is Paul's beautiful explanation of the resurrection. And it covers Jesus's resurrection, what it means for us. And it also covers the resurrection of our own bodies. You know, the entire book of Hebrews is about what it means that Jesus is ascended and that we have a great high priest and that he's our intercessor. You know, we haven't even talked about that. That's like part of his role now that he's ascended. And then Revelation 4 and 5 and Daniel 7. And I mean, you just look at the New Testament and it's everywhere. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Colossians 3, Romans 5. They're like all talking about cross and resurrection and I think hmm. once you have eyes to see, you'll see that it is in so many places. So I'm missing a ton, but that's what immediately came to mind for me. 
You touched on this, and I would love to go there. What is Jesus doing now? You know, we had this vision that you're kind of unpacking from Revelation. We know Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but like, what is it that he's doing? Yeah, as I was preparing for this, I saw somewhere, and I just can't remember who said this, but said that we think, sometimes we think of Jesus, he's just sitting on the throne, but he's actually, he's active, you know, and he's active in our lives, and he's actively growing his kingdom through us. He's weaving all things for good, for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. You know, yeah, he's interceding for us. He's our advocate. So that's like Hebrews. It talks about how he advocates for us. He intercedes for us. He, on our behalf, he prays for us. That's been such a comfort to me in motherhood in particular. And I've talked about that before on the podcast, but, you know, we think a lot about that Romans 8 account of the spirit groaning for us when we don't have the words. But then a few verses later, it talks about how, you know, Jesus himself is praying for us. And I'm like, man, that's when I'm having a breakdown, like when I'm feeling like I'm going to just lose my mind out of frustration and anger at my kids, I'll often just think like, Jesus is interceding for me right now. And that sometimes is just the encouragement that I need to move forward towards my children with love and mercy and grace in the same way that he's moved towards me. Mm. So yeah, I mean, thinking about Christ, thinking about him being embodied, that's just like heartwarming to me. How does the claim of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, how is that actually central to the message of the gospel, why is it so important that we keep that in mind as we talk about who he is and what he's doing right now? Yeah, I think to answer this question, we want to remind ourselves of the big story of the Bible. And a lot of times people will divide it right into those like four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. Mm -hmm. So when we go to creation, like God created the physical universe and he created it good. He created man and women, and he made us bodily. And the Genesis account describes God, you know, creating Adam like a gardener. He gets down in the dust, and he forms him, and then he breathes into him the breath of life. And mm. we see this, like human beings are both bodies and souls, and that's an inseparable link, right? That we are both. And in the fall, we see that both aspects of our humanity are corrupted. Spiritually, we become dead, right? We're separated from God. We're in bondage to sin. But physically, our bodies are under the domain of death. Our bodies decay, they get sick, they fall apart, we eventually die. Um, and so when God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, away from his life-giving spirit, away from the tree of life, he still offers them hope, right? The promise that one day the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And theologians say, right, that's the first moment where the gospel mm -hmm. is shared. And to crush the head of the serpent, the seed would have to accomplish a work that would buy back both our spirits and our bodies from the domain of Satan and death, right? So the bodily resurrection in his body, that is central to the gospel because God is not content with just a part of us. He is not, he's in the business of redeeming all of who we are. Mm. And not only that, but all of creation. And so mm. Jesus's bodily resurrection accomplishes that. It's that moment when Jesus crushes the head of the servant. He like keeps death. He brings us back body and spirit to our proper relationship with God, right? The good news of Jesus is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Mm -hmm. God being rich in mercy because mm. of his great love, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Mm -hmm. And this is not our own doing, right? And this is Christ's work of redemption. And that's the third chapter of God's big story. So I just summarized like Ephesians 2. But like we can notice that at the middle of that, Paul writes that God made us alive together with Christ. And that's resurrection. Body and spirit are made for God. And we're body and spirit under death. But Jesus, because of his death and because of his resurrection, has made us alive. Because neither death, spiritual nor physical, is going to win the day. You know, have you heard of Douglas McClevey's Every Moment Holy? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. The, the, the liturgies. liturgies. Yeah, yes. they're amazing, right? His newest volume is called Death, Grief, and Hope. 
Okay. And the last liturgy is called a liturgy hmm. of praise for Christ who conquered death. In it, he writes, Christ's heel is planted on death's neck. Death cannot breathe. And this space in which we grieve is but the long exhale of death's last expiring breath. Like the resurrection has changed history. And before the resurrection, death held this world as its own. But because of the resurrection, Jesus has his foot on mm. death's neck. Like death does not have the final word. It's just letting out its last gasp right now. And the Bible testifies to this by calling Christ the first fruit of those who have died. He's the first to be resurrected, resurrected, but he's not going to be the last. Mm-hmm. Just as we all died in Adam, now we will, those who believe in Christ will be made alive. Jesus's resurrection is like the first tomato on your like tomato plant in the beginning of the summer, but there's going to be this huge harvest. My mom just harvested a ton of tomatoes. So you had to make it salsa. She was like, I don't know what to do with all these tomatoes. Like that's what the end of the world is going to be like, right? Recreation Mm. is going to be this full harvest Mm. that we are going to be brought back to life in our bodies because God is not content with just your spirit. He wants all of you. The bodily resurrection of Jesus means that our bodily resurrection is assured. Like we will also be resurrected in bodies. And Paul calls it that we will have spiritual bodies. And that's not to say that our bodies won't be material because they will be. We will be flesh and blood. But it means that now our bodies are going to be rightly ordered to God. So like everything about us, like down to ourselves, will be full of life. We're like full of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. We will have the Holy Spirit-empowered physical bodies. And that's what's going to happen. And Paul says, you know, the one who created your body is the one who's going to transform your body. So there's going to be continuity. But your body is going to be made for presence with him for eternity. And it's truly Mm. these bodies that are going to be transformed. So I want to just really quickly go back to the idea then that also... Jesus is now in his body in heaven. We have to hold on to that together. I think a lot of times we just assume, okay, he was resurrected and yeah, that was in his body, but now he's in heaven. And like, this just kind of feels weird to us to think that he's actually in a human body. But the fact that Jesus is fully bodily in heaven means that two things. One, that he brings us to God. And then the second one is that he brings God to us because the Bible say that no one has seen God. God is a spirit because the resurrection and because of the ascension. Now we can say the one who is at the father's side, Jesus in his body is making God fully known. So he's our ascended mediator. He makes us fully known, makes God fully known to us so that someday we will see God face to face. We will see a face, the face of God, which is Jesus Christ. So we have to hold on to the fact that he's bodily. We're going to get to see him. Spurgeon has this like really beautiful quote on like how we're going to see him bodily. And he says that like the same body that hung upon the cross for our salvation, we are going to touch and hug. And the same hands that were nailed to the cross will welcome us to our eternal home. And the face that was so marred is the very face which seems brilliantly amid the thrones of heaven. And into that self-same face, we shall be permitted to gaze. And that's Mm. incredible. And that's the hope that we have. And so that's why it's so important to remember that Jesus bodily resurrected, Jesus bodily on the throne, and we will be resurrected to see him face to face. I have so many things that I could say right now, but all I conform is come Lord Jesus. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I cannot wait for that day. And I am so excited to continue to learn more about this. I feel like I have so many practical things that I want to go and even just teach my own children after this conversation. Uh, what resources would you recommend for those of us who want to continue growing in our understanding of the resurrection and ascension? Yeah, I would say that every moment holy volume two that that one isn't primarily about the resurrection or the ascension but it is about like this time we live in now and i think when we really wrestle with death we are given the resources to recognize how much we long for 
the resurrection and the ascension. And that last letter G that I mentioned is like absolutely incredible. And so mm. for something that's not kind of like that theological book, but something that you can pray and, you know, have your spirit transformed through prayer, that's a resource I would recommend. Also, there's Far as the Curse is Found by Michael Williams. His first chapter is on the resurrection because he's like, that's the chapter you need to start with. And then it goes on and tells the whole story of the Bible, but in light, recognizing like that it is mm. all about Jesus and his resurrection and ascension. So those are two that came to mind. I know that Tim Keller has a book called Easter, I think, that also talks about the resurrection. Very cool. Well, I am really excited to check those out. And also just to start with the very long list that you gave us of scripture references. Yeah, so, it was a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's always a good Journey Women episode when we are encouraged to turn to the Lord in His Word. That's definitely one of my simple joys, coming to know God more through His Word. Well, one of the questions that we like to ask here at Journey Women is, what are your three simple joys? And because this series is all about knowing and loving God more, I just thought it'd be fun to hear from you. What are your three simple joys when it comes to knowing and loving God more? Mm-hmm. So I have a two-year-old son, Joaquin. And I love reading. We, we read the Gospel Storybook Bible mm. um, together. And then also Sally Lloyd-Jones has those board books, one on the Lord's Prayer, one on Psalm 23, which is called Found, and one on Psalm 139, which is called Near. And I just love reading those with him. They, like, they teach me to know and love God more. And they're just joyful to read. So that's definitely one. Another is, you can probably notice it because I keep talking about these liturgies, but praying other people's prayers, I love to do it. And it grows a knowledge and love of God, just walking in other people's footsteps and Mm -hmm. having them point to aspects of who God is that, you know, maybe I don't Mm -hmm. readily come to mind. That really grows my heart and joy for the Lord. And then my last one would be, I just love our women's Bible study here at my church. It's just such a joyful place, a good community of people who want to know God better and read his word together. That just brings me a lot of joy. I'm excited. We took a break for the summer, so I'm excited for Mm -hmm. it to start back up this fall. Yes, we are in transition, seeking to place our membership in a local church here because I told you we recently moved. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that I miss the most is gathering with other women um, around the word of God and testifying to his goodness and teaching one another its truth. So I'm with you. That's definitely one of my simple joys as well. And so many of the women that are in those studies have had such an impact on my journey with Jesus, just as we've like really fellowshiped around the word together. I know that you've done that even for us at a distance today. And one of the questions that we love to ask is, who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? Yeah, I think it would be my husband, Zach. You know, he's the person who knows me the best. And so he's also the one who points me to God in ways that like are so applicable and really get down to the heart of whatever issue is going on, you know, and just marriage and living with this other person and confessing your sin, seeing your sin. and. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh. (laughs) Wrestling together with like, how do we move forward? What do we do? What, you know, that life has to do with God. Like we can't live life without knowing God more. And um, those moments that test us, like having one another to point us back to Jesus and doing Mm -hmm. that in the community of marriage, I definitely think has been the greatest impact on me in my walk with the Lord as well. Mm, I definitely can say the same for Brooks. So thank you. Please tell Zach thank you uh, for sharing you today. (laughs) And I just can't tell you what a joy it's been to get to hear from you, to learn from you. This has been such a rich time for me personally, and I know it will be for the Journey Women listeners as well. Oh, God. Well, it's been a rich time for me, too. It was just beautiful to spend a couple weeks really studying, thinking about the resurrection and ascension. And I, I hope it's you know, helpful and and that the Lord uses it for those who listen to it. We pray this episode leads you to praise Jesus for his resurrection and ascension. 
which achieved salvation for all who trust in Him and offers us hope in the midst of the seasons and the challenges we face in this life. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss future episodes in our current series, Knowing and Loving God. If you want to access scripture references or resources from this conversation with Margarita, you can find those over at our website, journeywomenpodcast.com. You can also find us on socials throughout the week, talking about what we've learned at Journey Women Podcast. And please, if you're loving Journey Women, take a few seconds and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, like this one by Kate K that says, this podcast is by far my favorite that I listen to. Each time an episode ends, I find myself desiring to pick up my Bible and spend time with the Lord. The current series, Knowing and Loving God, has stirred up a desire in my heart to know God intimately and live in wholehearted obedience to Him because of that. Wow, thank you, Kate. That is our desire for the Journey Women podcast. And reviews like this really do help get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it helpful on their journeys to glorify God. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. It's a joy to get a journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.